Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If every talk radio program were the same, what would be the point? The Michael Berry Show is a little bit different. We're going to talk about politics, but we'll also talk about how great it is to live in Texas. Weekdays 5 to 7 on Talk 1370. It's the Michael Berry Show. Good afternoon. Welcome to Ask the Experts, the show that helps you with questions on your house, your wealth, your health, and more with our rotating cast of experts. I'm Casey Johns, your host. Every Saturday at 5 here on Talk 1370. Don't forget you can catch up on past episodes online at talk1370.com slash experts. Don't forget you can email questions you'd like to have answered to our experts at asktheexperts at talk1370.com. Both of those also available on the Talk app. That's available in the App Store and at Talk1370.com. Our expert in the studio with us today, Gary Coffin of GA Coffin & Sons Foundation Repair. Gary, welcome back to Ask the Experts. Glad to be here. Remind our audience a little bit. Tell us a little bit about GA Coffin & Sons, how long y'all have been around the Austin area, and just kind of set the stage for foundation issues we're going to be talking about today. Well, sure. Uh, we started our company, my father and I, back oh, 36-plus years ago. When we were swimming pool builders, we found it difficult to put a level swimming pool up against an unlevel house, so we started leveling houses, and he since passed away, and my sons uh, have started working with me as well, so we're three generations deep now, and I've still got two kids in school that are, are willing to come up and, and help us when they get graduated, so... We look to be here for many, got, many years to come. Got that uh, bench ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. borrow the sports metaphor. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, let's talk a little bit, you know, foundations obviously is your expertise. Let's talk a little bit about signs of foundation issues. If I'm looking around my house, I notice, uh, you know, different things out of play. What are some signs I can look for to know that I might have a foundation problem and something that I need to get addressed? Well, as we, we talked about last month, a number of details, but let's let's do this for our real estate investors, our, our realtors, and for everyone new that's coming to Austin and, and buying a house that may not be familiar with the fact that uh, all of our homes are sited on this giant living creature called clay soil. Um, when I'm looking to buy a home, one of the first things to consider is the geography of the situation. Uh, we have discovered that most of the uh, clay soils in the Texas area have been deposited on the east side of every major city. We talked about that last month. Uh, so that's not to say that you don't have clays on the west side, but there'll be more south, southeast, east, northeast. You'll see a lot less on that west and northwest side. Uh, so if you're looking to buy a home, that's one of the first things you can do is pull out your map, take a look at it, and see where that home's located uh, pertinent to, say, I-35. If it's north and east of 35, then it may be something you want to look a little closer at. Uh, if it's east period of 35, south of 35, when you get south on the south side of town, Onion Creek, all those areas are, are just as bad. Uh, but again, know the area of town you're looking to buy in as to whether you need to look closer. As you start to approach this home or property, you're driving into the neighborhood, pay attention to the age and height of trees in the neighborhood. When you look around, you see these large hardwood trees towering over the homes. Uh, that's a clear indicator that we've got clay soils. As I mentioned last month, pines don't grow in clay predominantly. They grow in sandy silt soils. 
so when you see a lot of hardwoods, that's a good tip that you have clay soils under the home you're looking at. Uh, look at the condition of the streets and sidewalks and driveways in the neighborhood as you're pulling into the neighborhood. If you see cracks in the middle of the road, you see cracks in the sidewalks, lots of them feels like you're you know going on a roller coaster ride through the neighborhood. That's a good indicator that you have expansive soils that are moving around and, and something to mark in your notes that, hey, we're in that zone. As you get close to the house, you can stop across the street from the house, stand and look at that house. Many times a house will have a big smile on it. You can just see that there's a, a grin on the front of the house. That is not a happy smile. That's usually a bad indication that you have some foundation movement. The same can be true of a frown. You may look at that house from across the street and look down the siding lines or down the brick lines or the roof ridge and see a frown or a smile. From a distance, you can see that much better. When you get too close, you get too close to the forest for the trees. You can't see it as well as you can across the street. As you cross the street, get up close to the house and get real close to the house. Start at one point, say at the front door, and look at the borders around that front door. Look at the caulk joints. Look at how the brick or rock veneer meet up to that door frame. If you see large gaps on one side of the door that are filled in with extra caulk or perhaps the caulk's pulled away and you can actually see a gap, that's an indicator you may have some movement. As you move along, uh, look at the brick lines standing uh, at the corner of the house, looking down one side and then looking across the front. If you can get a straight line of sight on those, you can oftentimes pick up on that smile or frown we were talking about that's a little more visible from a distance. Uh, look at the corner of the roof where it meets the, the siding. Uh, you have a, a freeze board there. It's a board that comes together that kind of trims out where the roof meets the exterior if that's pushed away at the corners, that can be an indication that you've had some foundation movement. Move your way around the house up close again, looking for any cracks in the rock or brick veneer, looking for irregular separations in the siding. Uh, around windows, the same as around doors, we want to look for an even caulk joint around those windows. If we see big gaps in the caulk, that could very well indicate we have some movement. Uh, open and close all of the doors, interior and exterior. Make sure they open and close easily. Make sure they lock and latch properly without having to beat on it with a hammer. All too often, you know, we'll have these windows that, yeah, you can open it, but it takes the strength of a grown man to get it up and down, and that's not necessarily good when it comes to uh, fire safety, being able to escape through a window like that. But more so, it can be an indicator that you're getting some binding in the foundation and the structure is actually racking or moving. Then look for noticeable slopes in the floors. And this is kind of a neat trick that I picked up over the years. If you walk backwards rather than forwards, you take your brain's ability to compensate for a sloping floor away to a large extent. A slope that you would not feel if you're walking in face first, you will feel if you turn around and walk backwards. So I always start in the center of a room and I'll walk backwards toward the wall. I'll come back to the center and walk in another direction toward the wall and in doing that, I, I can get a feel in my gut that I'm falling if I'm walking down a hill or my heels are catching if I'm walking up a hill. You know, I, I feel like this room has a slope to this corner. I'm, I'm not in touch with my feminine side. I'm actually referring to the gut feeling I get from walking backwards through that room. Yeah, and it kind of takes that mental trick out of it for your brain trying to compensate for the slope that it's obviously detected. Yeah, absolutely. The human brain's amazing, and it will, it will compensate given any chances uh, to, to make something seem better than it is. So slopes, they're not as much of a problem if you have a sloping floor as a lot of people would think. However, it can be distracting when your dining table sits at an angle. and When dinner's rolling off the table into yeah, your lap, it's, it, not a, it gets, it's not a good situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're visiting with Gary Coffin, GA Coffin & Sons Foundation Repair. Family owned for three generations, serving all of Central Texas. 
on the web at foundationandleveling.com. You can also give them a call, 512-33-LEVEL. That's 512-335-8835. Gary, we're talking a lot about different ways you can tell that you've got foundation issues. Let's talk a little bit inside the house. We're talking interior. We just talked about doors and windows. What are some of the other signs, sheetrock, walls, those kind of indications that you might have some foundation problems? Exactly. In keeping with getting up close to things, uh, you want to do that as well on the interior. We've walked around the exterior. We've looked at the freeze boards. We've looked at the windows and door caulkings. We've looked for cracks in the exterior. Make notes of those things. And as you get into the interior, now what we want to do is try to confirm what we saw with the exterior. So you'll want to start, say, at the front door. Looking at the the door itself, when you close that door, look at the gap around the door. Do you have a big pie-shaped wedge across the top where it's it's further away at the left-hand side of the door than, say, the right-hand side of the door? When you have that kind of arrow, it's a very long, thin, narrow pointer, if you will. It usually indicates which side of the door is settled. So if if you look at that door and you see that gap and it, it goes toward the hinge side, the hinge side is dropped. If you see that pointer going toward the opposite, it's the opposite side that perhaps is dropped. Uh, look at the sheetrock, especially around windows and door frames. They're weaker. They, they create a, a, bla- a break in the plane of the sheetrock, so there's corners there. There's a lot, it's a lot weaker at those points than it is, say, in the mid-span run of the walls. So move the curtains out of the way. Look at the corners of the door frames. Look at the corners of the window frames, uh, the top corners, bottom corners. Make sure that you don't have cracking in the sheetrock at those weak points. That's usually an early indicator of movement. And when I say early indicator, I mean, brick is very unforgiving, and so is mortar. They generally don't bend, they break. So if you've had movement on the exterior, you'll see a crack in the brick mortar or even sometimes cracks in the brick. I've heard realtors say, well, if it doesn't break a brick, then it's fine. Well, that's not necessarily true. It just proves that the mortar was weaker than the brick. Uh, But again, with sheetrock, you want to confirm what you see on the outside, on the inside. And if you see corners that are shearing and wrinkling in the corners of the rooms, those cracks around the doors and windows emulating out from those, uh, that will confirm that what you saw on the outside is happening also on the inside. And don't be afraid to put your hand on things. Uh, A lot of times I'll see where they'll put uh, a lot of uh, decoration on a home they're trying to sell, and they'll put uh, perhaps wallpaper in a kitchen area. Well, if you reach up around the corners of the doors and feel, you can actually feel if there's been a patch or repair or perhaps a pooching of sheetrock at those corners that you wouldn't see with the eye. Uh, that can oftentimes be that the seller just didn't realize that those were uh, signs that needed to be identified, and and they may have just decided to go ahead and and cover it rather than paint it. Uh, But it could also be a little less uh, honest. People have floated floors several inches in the past to try to make the floor more level, and we've seen all kinds of creative ways of of leveling a house without fixing the problem just cosmetically. And again, looking at a, a possible real estate investor, mindset, something you definitely want to get to the bottom of if you're investing in that property as opposed to, you know, something that, you know, you, well, not that you'd want to have it on in a house that you own either that you're planning on living in, but certainly for a real estate investment property, something you'd want to get to the bottom of. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. As a real estate investor, I consider anyone buying a house a real estate investor. That sometimes is uh, the largest nest egg many people will have where they have put money into it and it has value for their retirement. So we want to protect that uh, value as much as we possibly can. Which plays nicely into, you know, real estate investors buy properties. If it needs foundation repair, I would certainly think you would want to do that repair prior to sinking twenty or $40,000 worth of remodel money into a, a structure that's not level. Uh, so there's an opportunity to identify a foundation problem and deal with it before you spend that remodeling money. 
because again, all too often we get surprised with my floors two and a half inches out of level, but my windows all open and close and latch lock and properly and the doors are all fine. Well, the one can't exist truly with the other and, and have it make sense. So it's been remodeled and that can be a costly fix at that point. Yeah, the downside is it got remodeled to a out-of-level foundation. We're visiting with Gary Coffin, GA Coffin & Sons Foundation Repair, our guest on Ask the Experts this week. Call them with your foundation issues at 512-33-LEVEL, 512-335-3835, or on the web at foundationandleveling.com. Family-owned for three generations, here to serve you across Central Texas. We'll step aside for a couple of minutes and be right back. You're listening to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. Back after this. Keep up with the latest headlines from Austin and beyond on the all-new Talk1370.com. Stay informed with the latest news, weather, contests, and more. It's all just a click away at Talk1370.com. Just one more way to stay connected with Talk 1370. And welcome back to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. Our expert in the studio today, Gary Coffin of GA Coffin and Sons Foundation Repair on the web at foundationandleveling.com. Give them a call for all of your foundation needs. If you think you have a foundation problem, need someone to come out and take a look at your property, 512-33-LEVEL is their phone number, 512-335-3833. Three, five. In the business for more than 36 years, they've pretty much seen it all and would be happy to take a look at your property for you. Gary, last segment, we were talking a lot about different ways to tell that you've got foundation issues. Let's talk about a couple more signs of some problems inside the house, interior signs that you have a foundation problem. Sure. Well, something I used to hand out at the real estate investor club meetings and conventions is a, a marble. Uh, you can take that marble and you can set it down on a hard floor and watch how it travels. And in some cases, it can be a great indicator. I had one uh, multimillionaire real estate investor thank me personally for the marble I gave him several years before. He kept it in his pocket and his daughter wanted to buy a, a new home. And he pulled his marble out, set it down. He said it took off like a rocket and he didn't buy that house. And he appreciated me saving him that money. Uh, you know, I, I call it an ancient Chinese diagnostic tool, uh, being that it's a marble, and I kind of think those trace back to China. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you set something round and dense down on a floor that has slope to it that you don't necessarily see or feel, it will kind of give you an indication which way that, that slope is going and how perhaps dramatic that slope is. Uh, certainly something that is more dense for its size, like a, a shooter marble, a, a billiard ball is good. Uh, the most dense thing for its size I'm aware of is a teenager's head, but you're not allowed to use those in Texas. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, a ball bearing, you know, something that's very heavy for, for its size works good. Golf balls aren't bad. Uh, but at any rate, that'll, that'll help you to, to determine if you have a sub- substantial slope. If you want to get really technical, and it's really not that technical, bring a four-foot carpenter's level in with you. Set that down perpendicular to the wall and look at that bubble. If that bubble is not dead center in between the two hash marks, then it has some slope in one direction or the other. If you have to pick up one end of that level or the other more than a quarter of an inch, then you probably have a foundation issue that needs to be treated professionally. Um, The reason I say that is the FHA VA many years ago had some criteria that they asked their underwriters to live by, and, and that was that they would accept up to one inch of slope in a 16-foot span as long as that slope was fairly uniform. In other words, you can't be level for 10 feet and drop an inch in six. It needs to be about a quarter inch every four feet 
to fall under that criteria. That's the only known criteria that I'm aware of for evaluating the slope and floor of a foundation as it pertains to real estate, real estate sales. Uh, so we have used that as kind of our minimum criteria. Um, but at any rate, having, having that marble to be able to set down, if you bring in that four-foot level, put it on the windowsills, put it on the kitchen cabinets, put it on things that we know carpenters generally will use a level to hang, like doors. If you've ever tried to hang a door without a level, it'll drive you nuts. So if you put a level over the door frame and it's not level, that's an indicator. Put it on the kitchen cabinet, put it on that windowsill, use it on the floor. It's a little less uh, critical on the floors because you have different flooring in some cases that can throw that off a little bit, wear patterns in the carpets. But it'll give you a general idea of whether or not you have something there that you need to call in a professional for. Besides that kind of guideline that you mentioned that FHA relies on, what else defines foundation failure? Right. Well, as we said last month, I mean, I expect a home's foundation to do two things. One is to support the structure above it, and two is to keep your feet out of the dirt. And if it does both of those things well, we don't consider it to be failed. However, you know, there is a, a kind of a line in the sand there. In new home construction, we have a criteria that most homes are built to, and they allow for up to one inch of slope, rise, or fall in a 15-foot span, i.e. the L over 360 people refer to. If you calculate it out, it's an inch and 30 feet, but that inch is usually taken, that measurement is taken between the 30 feet. So if you have a 30-foot span, in the center of that span, it's an inch higher or an inch lower, that's an inch and 15 feet. That was designed basically for wood frame homes where you might have a a ceiling uh, with a floor above it on the second floor. And if that exceeds that inch and 15, your sheetrock's going to crack. There's a potential that you have overspan that ceiling and it may not be able to withstand the loads that are being put on it both above and below it so that criteria has kind of been around for a while and people get confused about it because they they think it means oh you know i can be off an inch and 30 feet well again it's it's more like an inch and 15 feet and it's possible to have a house that is not in failure that is two inches out of level in 30 feet if you have a rise of one inch in the first span of 30 feet in the middle And then the next span, it drops an inch in that 30 feet. Both are within criteria, but if you add up the two center sections, you end up with two inches in 30 feet. It would seem that that's wrong, but you're looking at at when building materials generally fail as why they came up with that criteria. When the FHA put out this bulletin for the underwriters, it said that, you know, if it's not worse than an inch and 16 feet, then we'll accept it as is. If it's over that inch and 16 feet then we really want an engineer's inspection on that before we'll approve it for our, our products. Uh, so, again, uh, in looking at when is something actually in failure, I generally say function. If that's if your doors and windows are sticking, if you the slopes and the floors are so dramatic that they're uncomfortable. I'm reminded of Miss Mayrand. This was a 96-year-old woman that hired me to fix her foundation. I tried to talk her out of it. She insisted that we do the work because she didn't want to leave that house to her family in the condition it was in. Uh, this was in horrible condition. It, it had huge slopes everywhere. We moved Miss Mayran out, moved her furniture out. We did the repair. We put all the flooring back in. All the furniture came back in. Miss Mayran came back in. And I came in that Friday to collect my final check for the work we had done. And she was walking with a cane. I said, Miss Mayran, are you okay? She said, yeah, I'm fine. She goes, ever since you leveled the house, I can't keep my balance. She had gotten used to walking down the hallway in this home that was three inches out of level from the left side of the hall to the right. She'd been in that home since the war. That was the house her husband bought when he came back, and that's the house she'd been in for 60-plus years, and this just blew her balance completely off. Wow. In the house. So anecdotally, you know, yes, 
people can get used to a house that's at a level. And just compensate in yeah. the mind. Again, wow. The brain is amazing. <laughs> the, the human body does amazing things. We're visiting with Gary Coffin, GA Coffin and Sons Foundation Repair, our guest on Ask the Experts this week, talking all things foundation issues. Gary and his family, family owned business for three generations, they're ready to help you with your foundation issues at 512 33 level, 512 335 3835, or visit them on the web, an extensive website. Testimonials, frequently asked questions, and more on the web at foundationandleveling.com. Gary, let's talk. Obviously, clay soils are kind of the predominant soil type here in central Texas, especially on the south and east side of town. Let's talk about different soil types, maybe somebody listening from outside the area, different soil types and different foundation issues that are kind of germane to those different soil types. Very good. Yeah, I mean, expansive clay soils are, are probably the number one cause of foundation movement but you still have problems in sandy silt soils. Sometimes those soils, when they get saturated, heavy rains can cause them to literally liquefy. And certainly uh, when they do that, they would rather not lift your foundation. And for that matter, neither would clay soil. If clay soil gets dehydrated and dried, it would rather not lift your foundation when it expands back upward again. So through that uh, path of least resistance, you'll lose support of your foundation from clay soils, but even more so when you have wet soils in the sandy silts, It'll turn into a quicksand of sorts. It'll allow for settlement of your foundation that never intends to pick it back up again. So despite the fact that you may not be on clays, you may have foundation movement because of improper drainage. That's a, a, a number two probably cause of foundation failure is not just the, the clay soils, but just improper drainage, allowing too much water to stand near one portion of the house, not enough on the other portions of the house to have even hydration around the foundation. We'll see situations where people build raised beds uh, near the foundation, and when it rains, the water comes off the roof, and it gets trapped in these raised beds and just sits there. It doesn't drain off. It doesn't go past the sidewalk or under the sidewalk. It just gets stuck. Anytime you introduce too much moisture in one area and not enough in another, you're creating a scenario that you can have a differential deflection, or in other words, movement that causes foundations to to fail. Uh, There are so many other factors in looking at a home beyond just the clay soil factor. Uh, we talked about that as you're you know, looking at your areas. There's the, the quality of the construction is a, a big point. Uh, we run into situations where all the level lots have been sold. That's kind of what realtors will tell you these days. So when you see a new home that's being built, it's often on a cut and fill lot. That means they've come in with a bulldozer and they've cut some of the hill down, moved that soil over to the lower part of the lot and built that soil up to make a level pad to build a home, but it's very difficult to get proper compaction of the soil with mechanical equipment in a matter of days uh, versus Mother Nature over millennia. Uh, All too often, uh, you'll see on the highway when they're getting ready to do an overpass, they'll start building soil up on this overpass site years in advance of actually coming in cutting in and building that overpass. That's, That's to allow for plenty of time for the soil to be rained on and compacted by gravity and Mother Nature Whereas in a builder's lot, he's not going to take months or years to compact soil. He's going to roll over it with the bulldozer and start building his foundation. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I remember just <clears throat> living here in the Austin area for years. I know that overpass along Mopac there at William Cannon, they had both ends of that well, you know, 10, 15 years before the overpass was even a thing. So, yeah, definitely Absolutely. makes perfect sense. Let Mother Nature do some of the work. But with what's the latest estimate, 150 some odd people moving into central Texas every day. 
builders don't really have a choice to do that, even if they wanted to. They want to turn those lots around as quickly as they can. Absolutely, yeah. If you follow the money, you'll find the motivation. And that's that kind of leads into the next question that I get often is, why don't builders build houses that will withstand foundation movement? Well, again, follow the money. If they build two identical houses on two identical lots, one that they put ten to $15,000 worth of foundation piers into and the other one they didn't, uh, the one's going to be a little more expensive than the other. And let's face it, when people are buying a home, they're almost always trying to get more home for their money. They don't want to uh, necessarily give up extra money on something that may or may not happen in the future. They would much rather have it in the here and now. So that builder knows that if he does that, his, his property is going to sit on the market a little longer. So his holding costs are extended. It's going to take a little bit longer to sell and, and uh, for a little bit more money. So they found ways to have engineered drawings that are stamped off by engineers and accepted by the municipalities such as the city that don't require that they install those piers. And until people actually get angry enough and start demanding of their lawmakers that this be changed, they'll continue to pave paradise and put these slabs right on top of the soil without any deep piers that would prevent movement and without uh, any regard to the buyer in the future. Pave Paradise, put up a parking lot, and then it'll just kind of shift its way off over time. Yeah, work its way through Houston on its way to the Gulf of Mexico. We're visiting with Gary Coffin, GA Coffin and Sons Foundation Repair, our guest on Ask the Experts this week. We're talking all things foundation issues, repair, signs that you might have a foundation problem, and more. Gary and his family-owned business ready to take care of your issues. Give them a call, 512-33-LEVEL, 512-335-3835, also on the web at foundationandleveling.com. We're not done yet. We'll step aside for a couple of minutes and back with more foundation issue questions after this. You're listening to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. We know Austin traffic can be a challenge. Come on, I can drive a tank through that gap. Put your foot on the gas and move it. Beat the commute with time saver traffic. Mornings and afternoons on Talk 1370. The right choice. Welcome back to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370, the show that helps you with questions on your house, your wealth, your health, and more. Our rotating cast of experts. Don't forget you can catch up on past episodes of the show online anytime at talk1370.com slash experts. And if you've got a question you want answered by one of our experts, send us an email. Ask the experts at talk1370.com and we'll get that on a future show. Here in the studio with us today is Gary Coffin, GA Coffin and Sons Foundation Repair, 512-33 level. That's 512-335-3835. They're standing by a family-owned business for three generations ready to serve you. Also on the web at foundationandleveling.com. Gary, you say you've been in the business for 36 years now. That's a long time. You've been around Central Texas for that time. You've seen it all just about. Just about from islands of sand such as Galveston to uh, mountains and rocks like we get in West uh, Austin and all points in between. Let's talk about service area, obviously central Texas. How far north, south, east, west, how far do you guys go? Uh, you know, we, we don't mind traveling a little bit. Uh, we, we certainly go as far north as Waco. Uh, we'll go as far out as Johnson City, uh, Maynard on the other end of town, uh, Buda, Kyle, all those areas that are in your listening area we, we service all the way to San Antonio and south of San Antonio. Don't do as much in Houston anymore as we used to. Uh, everybody's moved up here to the hill country, so... 
moved into God's country. Yeah. Can't blame them there. If you've got foundation issues, again, 512-33-LEVEL or foundationandleveling.com. Gary, before the news break, we were talking about some builder-inflicted, construction-inflicted causes for foundation problems. Let's talk a little bit about unstable slopes and how that can lead to some foundation issues that you might not even know about. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, again, an unstable slope could be a number of things. It could be a hillside that has no natural retainage and hasn't been altered by a builder whatsoever. But just in nature, again, all of these soils are trying to migrate uh, south and, and east of here. And they uh, they want to end up uh, at the lower elevations of the delta, say uh, the Gulf Coast, uh, Louisiana. Everything's kind of moving in that direction. If you build on a steep slope, you want to cut in some type of retainage at some point. Many builders will use their foundation, their slab foundation itself as the retaining wall. And depending on how well that's been designed by the engineers and how well it was installed by the, the crews that did the work, it may very well be just fine. You'll see a lot of that type of construction as you get up here in the, the rolling hills uh, just west of, of Austin. Uh, but if it isn't sufficiently installed or designed, then you have a problem with your house trying to move with that slope. Uh, so that's one of those builder issues where they, they, they have the opportunity to do it and do it right. But if they don't, that soil can continue to migrate. I've had a guy call me out and he had a problem with his front driveway. The driveway was kind of buckling where it met the garage. As we looked at the lot, you walked five feet toward the backyard, you dropped 10 feet in elevation. It was just a steep lot. It didn't turn out that his driveway was was binding with his garage. It was his house was settling, and it was trying to kick the the driveway up and out of its way as it was rotating down the hill. Mm. So, again, those unstable slopes can be controlled with proper retaining walls, retainage. Uh, again, drainage control becomes an issue in that situation because if you have erosion where water races past the house and it starts eroding the topsoils and you start seeing more and more of your slab with the years, eventually you'll see the bottom of that slab. And at that point, you have no more retainage and you're uh, certainly uh, leaving yourself vulnerable at that point to more movement. Uh, so that's one of those design criteria we talked about. Uh, post-tension cable slabs versus steel reinforced slabs. Um, I personally like steel reinforced slabs. I find them more predictable when I relevel them. The post-tension cable slabs, once those cables have been stretched a little bit, when you pick it back up, they don't retention themselves. So you end up with a little bit more of a wavy outcome when you re-raise that type of foundation structure. Uh, engineers have found ways to uh, appease the beast when it comes to landscape. They'll, uh, they'll see that they need to maybe make the front beam a little bit deeper, trying to create what they call a, a root barrier by making the front beam a little deeper so they can have trees in the front yard. Uh, last month we talked about trees and their interaction with clay soils and how if you have a tree, it could pay, take anywhere from uh, 30 to 300 gallons a day out of the soil. And that can cause one side of the house to remain substantially drier than the rest of the perimeter of the house. And back to improper moisture maintenance, you'll have some differential movement with that scenario. Uh, Texas A&M put out their report many years ago that stated the root system of a hardwood tree when planted in clay soils will travel one and one half times the drip line of that tree in search of moisture. So if you have a 60-foot canopy you've got 90 feet of root coming from that trunk outward looking for moisture in every direction. So your neighbor's tree can be stealing moisture from your home. These tree roots, if they can't get under your foundation, they'll just pull so much moisture out of one side of the foundation that the moisture starts migrating down and under and back up again. 
It'll just kind of take care of itself over time and fix the problem for it itself. It tries to compensate, yeah. So the soils will still lose moisture even if tree roots can't get under the foundation. If they get near enough to the foundation, they can still create the same scenario. So watering, uh, pruning back of leaves to limit the transpiration of moisture into the atmosphere can be helpful. Watering away from the home's foundation. Some clever things that have been done here in Austin is uh, many people have their washer and dryer in the garage. And if it's possible, you can take the discharge from your washing machine, run it out to a dry well on the opposite side of the tree so that every time you do a load of laundry, that uh, water is watering that tree away from the home's foundation. Taking care of its water needs right there yeah. without affecting the rest of the uh, your foundation around the rest of the house. Right, exactly. A lot of those, uh, those di- clothes washing detergents have uh, stuff in them that trees love. Interesting. Talked a little bit about trees there. What are, are any other landscape issues that can cause some foundation problems? I know we talked a little bit about uh, flower boxes and other things around foundations um, in the last segment. Anything else that can cause foundation problems that homeowners and real estate investors might need to be aware of? Right. Well, with the landscaping, we, we really need to look at positive drainage away from the foundation. It's nice to have built up beds near the foundation and the shrubs and all those things are wonderful, but be cognizant of the fact that you don't want those to retain moisture more so than the rest of the perimeter of your home. So the, the typical Texas home has a beautiful front yard and sometimes zilch in the backyard. It depends on just how much you spent for that new home and whether you could afford the landscape package for the backyard or not. So you have a sprinkler system and great shrubs and beautiful plants in the front and great grass and, and it's sprinkling and maintaining moisture for those trees and shrubs and, and lawn. But in the backyard, nothing's going on and you have just set yourself up for a major failure. Or if it's one of those things like certain members of my family who will remain nameless, it's a, oh, yeah, we're going to, that's going to be a honeydew project once we move in and it never gets done. Yeah. And the honeydews never come to fruition when it comes to getting out in this heat and busting sod. But at any rate, you know, those are the things that landscapers will do to us. Uh, oftentimes, I've, I had one new home builder, had a house less than a year old, had a problem with it moving. And, and when they called me out to look at it, the homeowner had put in a beautiful water garden very near the home, behind the house, with these waterfalls and water splashing everywhere and beautiful rocks and koi ponds. And what it did was it contributed a great deal of moisture to soils that hadn't seen that kind of moisture. And they started to expand, jacking up this brand new house. They thought it was really builder error, but it turned out that it was more more self-inflicted, a side effect of having a beautiful water garden. Nice to look at, but not so good for the foundation. As they discovered. Um, In terms of other things that landscapers can do to us, uh, here again, positive drainage away from the foundation. Uh, The trees and shrubs and sprinkler systems should be uniform around the foundation. If not, you should take the effort to water around that foundation to try to minimize a differential. In the uh, last month, uh, we discussed using a screwdriver. If you take a long screwdriver, 18 inches or so, and you can shove it into the soil without beating it, you have good soil moisture. If you see soils cracking near the foundation, pulling away from the foundation, or cracking in the middle of the yard, remember, these soils don't just contract in one direction. They're contracting in multi-directions. And when they shrink, they don't quite swell up 100% when they rehydrate. And that's kind of, you know, one of the old adages is, you know, either use a sprinkler on the foundation or maybe a soaker hose. Again, the idea is just common, consistent moisture all around the house. Exactly. And we love soaker hoses. And properly installed, they can be very beneficial. Uh, When people ask me, well, gee, you know, where should I put my soaker hose? Well, when you cut your finger, you don't put the antiseptic on your wrist. So I I think that you want to put that moisture near your foundation. I've had many engineers, and I'll say this as I said last month, that you can put five engineers in the same room. They won't agree on lunch, but this they kind of find a consensus on. 
that whatever depth you decide to put your sprinkler system or soaker hose, you should keep an equal distance from your foundation. So if you're going to go down eight inches, try to stay eight inches to a foot away from the foundation itself so that you prevent the potential of overhydrating, uh, getting too much water you know, too close. Um, with those drip lines, the, the soaker hoses that kind of look like foam rubber uh, garden hoses, they're designed to sweat moisture. And if you look at your household pressure, it's way too high to just hook one of those up and turn it on. You'll end up springing profuse leaks in the first five or ten feet of the hose and virtually nothing at the end of the hose. So if you're going to use soaker hoses, I do recommend you put them in the ground. And or if you just don't want to dig, put the soaker hose near the, the foundation and cover it with plenty of mulch. But get a 10-pound pressure reducer and put that on that line so that it reduces that household pressure down to something those hoses can manage. If you put 10 pounds through one of those soaker hoses, it will sweat throughout its entire length, nice and slowly. And that's really what we're looking for. We're not trying to overhydrate an area and then come back a month later and do it again with soaker hoses and or sprinkler systems of whatever nature. We want to introduce moisture slowly, allow those dry soils to pull that moisture to them, and they will. If you do this uh, religiously, uh, you will find that you're using much less water with that pressure reducer and running it. You know, I recommend run it 15 minutes in the early morning, 15 minutes in the late evening, i.e. when you're up uh, making coffee or brushing your teeth in the morning, you'll hear that water kick on because you're near a water source and you know that your batteries are working on your little timer that turns your water on and off for you. And the same is true in the evening. You know, when you're getting ready for bed, you're taking a shower or brushing your teeth, you'll hear that water kick on and off so you know to check your batteries. But by doing that, you're introducing that moisture slowly, fairly uniformly, and then go around and try that screwdriver test again. If you're just not getting enough moisture yet, kick it up to 20 minutes early in the morning and late in the evening. And one of those things, too, like you say, nothing wrong with putting it on an automated sprinkler system, but definitely something you want to keep an eye on. Say we, you know, get lucky and have a monsoon come in all of a sudden. Probably don't need to water the foundation that day if Mother Nature's done it for you. Exactly. Common sense prevails, and I realize that's a commodity that's in short supply, but we can train ourselves to be a little more vigilant when we start talking about that five to fifteen or $20,000 foundation repair. Uh, we don't want to trust a gizmo with our largest investment, so yes, you want to make sure that you monitor it, check it occasionally. I've seen critters, armadillo are notorious for digging up soaker hoses and getting a good drink. And therefore, you know, you need to look for springs that pop up from time to time that are maybe critter caused. Uh, by burying those soaker hoses, they don't do well in direct sunlight. They tend to dry, crack, and deteriorate. So burying them gives them a much longer life and certainly is recommended. We're visiting with Gary Coffin, GA Coffin and Sons Foundation Repair, our guest on Ask the Experts this Saturday. 512 level is the phone number, 512 3835 or on the web at foundationandleveling.com, a family-owned business serving the Austin area for three generations. Again, on the web at foundationandleveling.com. We'll step aside for a couple of minutes and be right back. You're listening to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. Back after this. Hi, this is Gordon Deal. Join me weekdays for This Morning, America's First News. Hear the stories you'll be talking about and searching for all day as we go beyond the headlines and above the chatter. Weekdays at 5 on Talk 1370. You made the right choice. Talk 1370.
And welcome back to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. I'm Casey Johns. Our expert in the studio today, Gary Coffin, GA Coffin and Sons Foundation Repair, 512-33-LEVEL, 512-335-3835, on the web at foundationandleveling.com. Gary, we've spent a lot of the show, all the show today, talking about different foundation issues, how you might know that you've got a problem. Easy question right now. We're in the midst of summer, heat outside, 105 degrees. Nobody wants to think about it. What's the best time of the year to get a foundation repair? Is there such a thing as the best time of the year to get a foundation repair done? Uh, you know, I'm certain that there could be, depending on, on how you look at it. I, I kind of feel like foundation repair is like dieting. It, it's the one that you can afford and the one that you'll stick to. So if you have the money in the summer months to do it, we don't mind working in 105-degree temperatures to repair the foundation. If the winter time is better for you, we're happy to work in the winter. Our guys have coats. They won't freeze to death. We, we don't think of it being a best time of the year for us. Uh, we uh, certainly think that if you're using press pilings, that maybe the period that had the most moisture in the ground could be beneficial. But once you get past the top three or four feet of surface dryness, you get into moisture-stable soils for the most part. And it doesn't seem to matter if it's the middle of summer or winter as far as getting the proper depth of the pier. So I would say, you know, uh, there's not really a definitive yes or no answer to that. Uh, so really any time that's convenient for you is convenient for us. Let's talk a little bit about concrete pilings. Can those deflect over time? You'll see that in some of the uh, competitors' literature, the ones that, that don't offer that as one of their foundation repair solutions. Uh, as I mentioned last month, we've been around the country looking for anything new, and we research every foundation repair method to see how applicable it is to our soils here in the Texas uh, Gulf Coast region. Uh, but uh, when you think about it, you're, you're going to take these sectional pilings and you're going to force them into the soil like a nail going into wood. Uh, the same principle that keeps your ceiling from falling on you is the same principle that holds these pilings into the soil. It's called skin friction. When you force something into the soils, you displace soil. That soil struggles to get back where it once was and it seizes up around the pilings. Uh, in fact, we did some testing back in the late 70s that... If you use 10 tons to drive a piling into the soil, you came back a week later, it took 18.6 to get it moving down again. That's part of the result of that soil seizing up on that pier. For the same reason, if you're drilling a well, you don't break for lunch, leave the well head in the, in the soil and come back and expect to turn it again. Those soils, even during lunchtime, will seize up around the drill head and you'll shear it off trying to get it back out. So once we start installing these pilings, we get through that top three or four foot of dry crust. We hit that moisture-stable soil. We continue pressing those pilings to refusal. With the sectional pilings, you're able to get under the load of the house, under the beams of the house, and drive straight down rather than at an angle like you would do with a drilled pier or a steel pier or a helical anchor. Uh, that's one of our benefits is we are driving straight down, not at an angle. Uh, we talked last month about how difficult it is to get truck mount equipment out there to install a, a pressed piling like a steel pier or a helical pier or a drilled pier for that matter uh, because of overhangs of the eaves and, and the fact that if you need interior piers, you have a, a house there. You can't drive that equipment in. So the sectional piling is, is a lot more usable on residential repair than any other method that we offer. But we do offer all different methods for different conditions and different outcome expectations. As to whether they can... Uh, to come, become dislodged or whether they could tilt or, or what have you, it's highly unlikely. Soils in confinement tend to only expand up and down, and the only left and right type movement you get is at the very surface. When we talked about dry cracks in the soil, when you see it cracking at the surface, 
it generally does not allow for movement from side to side once it's in confinement. Okay, let's in the couple of minutes we've got left, let's briefly talk through the repair process. If somebody calls up GA Coffee and Sons, what can they expect? How's how's how long will the process take? Generally speaking, obviously every case is different and you guys would be more than happy to hold people's hands through the process, but give them an expectation of what they can uh, what they can expect when they give GA Coffee and Sons a call. Absolutely. Well, they can expect me to politely answer the phone, take their information, we then have our senior estimator for the area they're in, call them back to schedule an appointment, the time that's convenient for us to come out, take a look at the property with them, where we'll do like we discussed in the first segment. We'll evaluate the foundation visually. We'll take out a digital computerized level that will allow us to take elevations throughout, and we'll plot those on a drawing that can give us kind of a map of what's going on with your home. And from that, we're able to make recommendations for the repair. We take into consideration your soil types, your structure types, uh, the evidence that we see of the movement, both interior, exterior, sheetrock, brick or rock veneer, all the things we talked about in the first segment uh, in evaluating and determining where and what we would want to recommend in the way of a repair. When you do decide you want the work done, you simply call in and we'll generate a contract for you to, to review and sign. Uh, we don't carry contracts with us on the, the first time we meet with you. We think that presumes too much and we want everyone to have the opportunity to talk with friends and family and maybe get a couple of competitive bids and ask us questions about it. But if you do decide to use us, then we'll schedule your work where our foreman will be the man that you'll see on the job throughout the entire process. If he leaves at all, it's just to pick up some additional materials, but he generally stays with the job completely. Our senior estimators often work as uh, leveling superintendents as well. They'll come back by after the, the leveling has been done, take some additional readings to just double check and make sure everything is as good as we can get it. It will look like World War III when you're in the process of having it fixed. Um, it looks like people threw hand grenades in your yard. We do everything in our power to preserve your landscaping. We lay down plywood or tarps or both, and we'll try to save your sod as much as possible. If it's in good condition, has good root system, then oftentimes we can replant the sod over the excavations and make an almost invisible repair. In other cases, the soil's a little too dry, and the, the plants and the sod are not quite that great. Uh, so we don't guarantee the longevity of your plants or shrubs. We will move them out of our way and replant them when we're done. Um, I have, in some cases where we have very tricky landscapes, ask the foreman to take pictures, please, because we've re-landscaped people's yards inadvertently by taking the plants out, forgetting where they go, and the guys just put them back to where it looked good. But uh, we will try to replace everything back to the way it was as much as possible, clean up your yard to where when the job is done, you don't feel like you have to go out behind us and clean up. It's it's done when you say it's done. And so our crews want to make sure that you're pleased with the cleanup before collecting the final check. Our warranties are second to none. Uh, we give lifetime warranties on our slab repairs. We give lifetime service agreements on our pier and beam repairs. So regardless of what type of foundation we're dealing with, you have the assurance that you'll be working with us in the future should you have any issues at all with the work that we've done. And one thing we were talking about earlier, especially in the real estate investment market, is kind of the importance of documenting that repair. Talk about engineering inspections, permits, that kind of thing. What what do you guys recommend? What do you provide? That kind of thing with a repair and with someone who needs help with their uh, foundation. Excellent. Yeah, we uh, we have years of experience in evaluating foundations and making recommendations for the repair. But if you choose to have us do the work, we always recommend an engineer's inspection. That is still an option to you. You're the homeowner. You're the boss. We, we don't want to dictate to you. So if you don't care for one, you don't have to have one. The, the old FHABA guideline that we live by the, that, uh, 
that inch and 16 feet that we talked about earlier segments, uh, it does require an engineer's inspection for them to bless a foundation that's been repaired. But the way it's worded, if you do the repair and you hold the home for over 12 months after the repair, you don't need an engineer's inspection. They will accept it as is because it has not moved in that year since the repair was done. And there must be at least three years remaining on the warranty in order for them to accept that. So you would have to probably have about a minimum of a five-year warranty on any foundation repair you did to have that option to exercise that. But with an engineer's inspection, and we were talking about real estate investors, uh, you know, the worst thing you can have in a real estate investment situation where you're rehabbing a house to resell is a foundation issue that they can negotiate with. So by saying, hey, we've had a foundation issue, we've had it inspected and repaired by a reputable foundation repair company with a lifetime or warranty or service agreement, we've had it inspected by a state-registered engineer, here's all this documentation, you just take the bullets out of their gun to negotiate for a lower purchase price based on foundation issues. You, you've kind of just disarmed them when it comes to that. As far as permits, uh, many cities require permits. Several cities don't, depending on the scope of the work and how much work you're doing. That's certainly your option as well. Uh, we will help you pull permits in any city municipality that requires them. Uh, that will be at your expense. And again, we work all over the state, so there is no one way fits all. Everybody, everybody, every little uh, suburb has to have its own little different rules and regulations. Absolutely. Even homeowners associations sometimes get involved in this and, and will prohibit how much signage we can have on our vehicles when we're doing a repair in their neighborhood because, God forbid, anybody should drive by and see a foundation repair being performed in their subdivision. But <sighs> HOAs on that topic. Oh, that's, well, that's, a, <laughs> that's another segment altogether. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a whole other show altogether. Yes, sir. <laughs> we are out of time. 512-33-LEVEL. If you think you've got a foundation issue, Gary, his family, owned for three generations, they are ready to help you. GA Coffee and Sons Foundation Repair. 512-33-LEVEL. 512-335-3835. They're also on the web at foundationandleveling.com. Gary, you'll be back with us again the first Saturday next month in September. If you've got any questions for Gary that you want to have asked here on Ask the Experts, send us an email, asktheexperts at talk1370.com. And, of course, you can also catch up on past episodes, talk1370.com slash experts. You've been listening to Ask the Experts on Talk 1370. We'll see you again next Saturday here on Talk 1370. GA Coughing and Sons Foundation Repair is a locally owned, family-run business proudly providing expert foundation repair services from Austin to San Antonio and throughout the Texas Hill Country for decades. In fact, 36 years of hands-on experience has been handed down from father to sons through three generations and their customer satisfaction rating reflects the family's commitment to doing your job right the first time, for the last time, with warranties on all of their work. Each foreman pays total attention to the details while they supervise highly trained personnel using only time-proven technology to complete each repair as if it were their own home. Real value is when a fair price is paid for exceptional results. Value and customer satisfaction accompanies every project from the no-cost estimate all the way through to the cleanup of your yard. Call GA Coughing and Sons Foundation Repair with all of your foundation repair questions or to schedule an estimate and rest assured that their family will treat your family and home with the utmost respect through your residential or commercial slab on grade or pier and beam foundation repair. Call 512-335-3835. That's 512-33-LEVEL or visit Foundation and Leveling. Take talk with you anywhere with the all-new Talk 1370 app. Listen to your favorite shows, keep up with the latest breaking news, and more. Search for Talk 1370 in the App Store or find the links at Talk1370.com. It's anywhere I need. Talk 1370, the right choice.
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.